This is episode number six with Nicole Gibson. Welcome to the Mindset Horizon podcast. My name is Tibor Nard, mindset and performance coach and the founder of Mindset Horizon. The mission of this weekly show is to reveal the disruptive mindset of purpose-driven entrepreneurs, high performers, visionaries, and change makers, so you can transform your mindset, realize your full potential, and execute on your dreams. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Now let's get started. Welcome back everyone to the Mindset Horizon podcast. Before introducing today's guest, let me guys tell you a little bit more about the Mindset Nation community, a Facebook group that I highly recommend you to join. In this community, you have the chance to get in touch with other like-minded listeners, the incredible guests on the show, and of course with me, the host himself. You can ask questions, give feedback, and engage in different conversations. On top of that, you will know everything about the most important freebies and takeaways and the latest news about brand new episodes. You can join this community by simply clicking on the link in the show notes or visiting our website mindsethorizon.com. So let's dive into the introduction. My guest today is Nicole Gibson, the founder of the global movement Love Out Loud and the author of the amazing book Love Out Loud. In today's episode, Nicole talks about love and its transformational power. We talk about the importance of mental health and how it's becoming the leading health epidemic in recorded human history and what's the core reason behind that. We also cover powerful topics such as human potential and how we can tap into those hidden resources. On top of all that, we talk about fears and how we can overcome them so we can step into our greatness and stop playing small. And a couple of words about Nicole. So when she was 18 years old, she established a not-for-profit and grew it to sustainability by completing two national speaking tours. She was a finalist for the Young Australian of the Year at 20 years old and listed as one of Australia's top 100 most influential women at 21 shortly after taking out the Pride of Australia medal. She's made the front cover of the Financial Review, the Yellow Pages and featured in a documentary aired on primetime national television. She's a fierce ambassador for mental health, innovation and connection after recovering from her own terrifying lived experience with anorexia nervosa through her teenage years. She's currently the chief executive officer the Rogue and Rogue Foundation and recently completed three terms as the youngest Commonwealth Commissioner for Mental Health. In her career so far, she's facilitated workshops and presentations with over a quarter of a million Australians. She's a skilled and experienced motivational speaker, developing her own facilitation methods early on in her career, which continue to evolve. She draws upon 10 years of theatre training as the basis of her facilitation style. She feels Australia has a lot to learn in the way of innovation and community connectedness. Much of our population lacks spiritual education and awareness and personally she feels this is a significant contributor to our high rates of suicide and mental illness. In 2016, she completed her first international speaking tour, speaking at institutions like Oxford University and the Anna Freud Center. In her travels through Europe, the USA and Central South America, she noticed how our universal need remains the same regardless of our physical circumstances. 
when people are provided a space to explore themselves safely and find the opportunity to be held with love and acceptance, this equates to the biggest breakthroughs. She's the founder of the love-based movement Love Out Loud with the mission to engage 4% of the global population by the end of 2020 through digital content retreats, seminars, philosophy circles, business consultation, community partnerships, and festivals. So guys, please help me in welcoming the author of the incredible book Love Out Loud, the one and only Nicole Gibson. Hi, Nicole, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, such a pleasure to have you on the show. You are an Australian multi-award winning social entrepreneur, TEDx speaker, transformational facilitator, a unifier, which I like a lot. And as you mentioned on your website or somewhere, an unstoppable messenger of love and human potential. And so there are a lot of topics uh, that I want to dive into. And to be honest with you, uh, it was a little bit difficult for me Uh, which topic to go into because there are so many great ones and um, in in your book as well. Uh, Really interesting to me. Uh, One of the most uh, interesting to me and hopefully for the listeners as well, human potential and talking about love and how it's really connected to human potential. But before we dive into those topics, I just wanted to ask you to tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background and your journey, because you had an incredible journey, I think, in the last uh, seven, eight years, if I'm not mistaken, and focusing on the most transformational moments in that last seven years. Hmm. Yeah, of course. Um, okay, well, I suppose for me, the most transformational moments have always been in human stories. And one thing that my work has Um, really gifted me with the ability to see I suppose is just is humanity in in so many different forms working in mental health for many years running a non-profit in Australia uh, the way that we were serving uh, the solution in mental health was was through community development Um, so by going into communities and helping them actually become more connected, more cohesive, get rid of the shame and the fear and the guilt around having conversations that were really in the way of people being able to trust each other and lean on each other. And, of course, through doing that work, uh, you hear so many stories. And one thing that my work's really held a lens up um, to is just the, the similarities. I think in life we can get really lost when we're constantly focusing on what's what's different um, about us mm. or what we don't have. And yeah, I just, after hearing my first, you know, hundred stories, thousand stories, 10,000 stories, eventually hundreds of thousands of stories, even though the details of people's journey has been so different, the universal similarities between us as human beings, this desire to be loved, this need to be held and seen and heard and acknowledged and to express ourselves. When I saw this um, so many times, it it really gave me this deep, deep transformational awareness, which was just that love really is the key. If if we want to connect to infinite possibilities, if we want to be connected to everything by seeing through the lens of love, connecting to people through love, uh, we minimize the separation we experience with life and 
Um, I know for me, I experience far less friction, resistance when I'm really embracing that. And that's been the thing out of everything that the, the, my work, I think, has gifted me most with. Wow, it is such a such a such a great topic, love. And um, you know, to be honest with you, um, I, I'm I'm a coach, right? So, and I took a coach training program, and um, I was looking for answers. Uh, I was looking for answers. So I think, and I just formulated it in the last couple of months. Curiosity was one of the things that really drove me. And um, I I used to work as an architect, and you know it's a completely different field where I'm where I'm uh, right now. And um, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting journey. But I think uh, in the university and regarding architecture, it was all about that I was curious about something. I wanted to uh, have a positive impact, so I I can vividly remember. Uh, in the university, um, when I was studying architecture, I had this feeling that I will make a difference. So I will have a positive impact with this built environment and I can improve people people's lives, basically. And um, yeah, mm. curiosity was something that I just formulated in the last couple of months. Um, and uh, what I wanted to say with coaching is that what you talk about love is for me something that I couldn't find in the program. So even if uh, it was a coach training program, you know, we didn't talk about love that much, which is, I think, really important. And I'm really interested in one of uh, the authors. Uh, his name is Dr. Wayne Dyer. And he's a little bit more spiritual, you know, and uh, he talks about love. And he talks about this, that love is everything we are and we just need to be and live it. And so would you, would you tell us more about this uh, love, that we are love and then we just need to be love? And how, how, how did you actually get to this realization? <laughs> Where to begin? <laughs> you asked me to say yeah. the most interesting in the world. Um, you know... I guess for me, even as a young person, this sense that we really are love in our core, in our essence, was something that um, was felt for me. There was something I was always connected to deep inside of me, um, a sensitivity, you know, a sense of, um, yeah, just love is no other word really to describe it. And and I saw it very easily and still do in, in others, you know, the, the innocence that someone is and the, in, the infinite possibilities that exist inside of all of us when we really do unravel um, the beliefs that we have about ourselves, about life, about others, the conditions, the, the behaviours when we become curious, um, what's in the way, or even before we become curious, curious to even become aware that there are things in the way of us experiencing pure unconditional love and bliss and joy um and ecstasy in all moments which is a possibility for us um i know this i, I live this um you know often enough to to really understand and believe that that's that's true but going through my childhood it was often judged i i suppose by people that had kind of lost touch with, with that truth in them as an oversensitivity or an intensity and for me, um, now I can see that a lot of that was 
I was being gaslighted because I really believed um, believed in that love that I felt and that I saw in others. I was holding up a mirror, you know, vibrationally I was holding up a mirror to others. Mm. Um, and also just by being me, I was holding up that mirror because when you've got a clear mirror standing in front of you, you have to look at yourself. So in the what I've learned about love is when you embody love, when you bring love, it brings up everything that isn't love <laughs> in yeah. in those around you. And that can be a very confronting thing. And I think as a child, I very naturally had that impact, that effect on people. But I didn't have enough self-awareness or know my centre enough to really recognise um, that maybe it wasn't me that um, had something wrong with them. You know, mm. so I took on all of that fear, all, all of that limitation that was being projected, sometimes consciously but actually often very unconsciously, uh, I took that on and I made that mean something about who I was. And this is a really important message that I have for everyone um, that I want this this message to impact is mm-hmm. what someone else um, thinks about you or the opinions often that others have about you or even better yet, the opinions you sometimes have about yourself mm-hmm. um, are not necessarily the truth, you know. And I think as children, because we, we don't learn that, we often take this on and we make it mean something about us. So I really went through a journey, I suppose, um, taking on a lot of those beliefs and starting to believe things like I'm not lovable, I'm not enough, I'm not worthy, um, I am too intense, I feel too much, I need to be less of myself. That manifested quite severely as uh, an eating disorder. So I battled with anorexia for many years. Mm, And the root of that illness was really not enoughness, just wanting to be... Um, trying to be less of myself, quite literally, wanting to be invisible because uh, that's how I felt, you know, um, yeah. that's what I felt was necessary, I suppose, to be enough or my my ideal of perfection. So I really went through this immense suffering, which was actually such a gift because I got to experience the polarity of what I now know to be 100% true. I got to be in so deep in the suffering, so deep in the pain, so deep in, the limitation, so deep in the lack, literally starving myself. Um, That's how deep in the lack I was. Just to push that boundary to its nth degree only to realise even in the depths of that darkness there was still a glimmering light and that's true for all of us. You know, there's that that's always there and um, it it just showcases, you know, even even in the depths of darkness. The fact that that light still remains means that the light's stronger than all of it. And that was really my initiation into understanding the power of love to transcend everything, whatever your circumstances, whatever the darkness is that you're battling with right now, um, the light will always prevail. It really will. But it's about giving yourself the opportunity, giving your heart, giving your soul an opportunity to speak to you. And I think when we live a life that's very distracted when we're not when we don't give ourselves that stillness and that presence when we're constantly taking on whatever defining ourselves through other people's lens and not actively questioning who we are in relation to it all then we don't actually have um, enough time and space to connect to that truth of love inside of us that wants to express itself through us Mm -hmm. 
Wow. Uh, and afterwards, actually, you, I mean, I'm not sure if uh, it's, um, you know, the movement that you started a couple of years ago, I, I think seven years ago in Australia, uh, your first movement, uh, was it after coming out of this uh, illness or or how did you actually come out? Uh, what was the turning point and how did you started this how did you start this movement like what was the reason for starting that movement because i heard your story a couple of times but i wasn't sure about the reason mm. yeah for sure well my first organization was a non-profit it wasn't a movement per se um what i what i lead now love out loud is a is a movement which i founded um mm. about a year ago But the, the first nonprofit that I, which was my first, I suppose, entrepreneurial journey in social entrepreneurship, um, really came from going through that experience and recognizing that by the time I was um, so sick and clinical intervention started for me, which uh, made, it sort of looked like a, a series of clinicians that I was working with, you mm -hmm. know, therapists. Yeah. There was a lot of health complications with the illness that I was experiencing too. And just having this um, this sort of fragmented experience where I would go into a therapist's office and sort of the, uh, the request was that I would bear my soul. I would get to a deep place of, you know, honesty and mm. I was expected to be safe in that. But then as soon as time was up, you know, I had to, sort of had to – put myself back together and, and go into very unsafe environments where people didn't understand what I was going through, where they would oversimplify it and very much have an attitude of why can't you just get better? Why can't you just eat, you know, without really seeking to understand what is required to make me feel or help me feel, assist me to feel safe. Um, and I became very passionate about that because I could see um, Although I'm much more articulate at being able to describe what that is now, I didn't have that language back then. I could see and I could feel that I don't really believe healing is possible until we give healing the space it requires to um, be fully embodied. And that's what I was continually being re-traumatized. So I would have a session with my doctors. I would reach that state where healing just became possible because I was in a state of vulnerability. And that's essential if we really want to heal. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to lay down all of our armor, all of our barricades, all of our fears. But just in that moment of vulnerability, it would feel like that's when I had to put all of my walls back up just to protect myself. And that's not because I wasn't willing. It's not because I didn't want to get better. It's not because I wasn't stubborn. It's just because there, there was no safe environment outside, say, that therapist's office for me. And that's what I wanted to change. I wanted to help communities family members, um, friends, lovers become aware that the way we show up for someone has a huge impact in that feeling of safety and that um, ability for, for those in our lives to feel okay to be vulnerable with us and actually that when we can create that, huge transformation can occur in our intimate relationships and we do have a responsibility to each other to learn that and that means challenging our fears of vulnerability having the conversations that others are too afraid to have um and everything in between so that was really the grounds in which i began that organization on is i wanted to be a pioneer that was having those conversations and tackling this 
social problem which was seemed to be growing and I think still is every single year, which is mental mental health problems in mm. our world. Yeah. Um, from the root of it all, you know, rather than just reactionary solutions, waiting for someone to be sick and then get, uh, saying that they should go to a doctor but not having anything in between, um, you know, to to mitigate that um, that pain or that journey for someone. Mm. And so you mentioned this um, loneliness and um, I think on your website I read it that loneliness is going to be the leading health epidemics in recorded human history uh, by 2020, if I'm not mistaken. And it's the leader cause of death yeah, under the age of uh, 45. And I was wondering, so what do you think, what is the, the, the core reason for this? It's a really, really great question. Um, yeah, I, I believe that in right now in humanity in the world, we have some pretty loud symptoms that are trying to show us something. Our Amazon is on fire. You know that there are children all all around the world that are um, striking for for our climate. That right now in the West, every forty seconds, someone is taking their life. You know these are very loud symptoms. And I use the word symptom intentionally because what it's showing us is that there's a deeper reason why this is happening. I don't think mm -hmm. that mental illness is a is a superficial um, is a is a superficial statistic. You know, there's a, there's a reason why so many people in the world feel anxious. There's a reason why so many people in the world feel lonely. There's a reason so many people feel depressed. And actually, if you're not fucking crazy sorry for swearing <laughs> you know crazy for feeling this way you know that's actually i think more of us feel this way than not because look at look at how we're um look at what we're not addressing and when you when you don't address a wound what happens you know it, it gets infected it gets worse and there's been wounds in how we've been living our life as humanity as individuals and also as a as a collective that are really, it's right now. We have to address it. We literally have no, we have no other choice. We have to address it. And I think when you see this statistic that mental health will become the leading health epidemic in recorded human history, is that not a wake up call right now to actually start asking questions? Because if that isn't what what is it going to take to start to become curious about these things? No, I, I don't want. I've I've sat with families that have had um, that have been affected by suicide, for example, and I have experienced that grief. I would hate to think that every family needs to go through that before they're inspired to change. Mm -hmm. um, but when you look at the trajectory that we're going on, it it seems as though that's what we're choosing as humanity. That we are literally having to take things to an absolute extreme until there's literally um only jellyfish in our oceans until our amazons are our amazon jungles literally burning down until this epidemic that we're experiencing in health is is that extreme before we actually wake up and if you were to think about this on an individual level imagine you cut yourself when you first cut yourself there's a reason that you straight away draw your attention to that wound 
because it wants your attention. That's why it hurts. It wants you yeah. to um, wash the wound, you know, bandage it so that it doesn't get worse. But mm-hmm. what we're doing with these wounds in our functioning as humanity is we're leaving them unaddressed. We're doing everything in our power actually to not be present with them because the pain is now so great that we're too afraid to feel it. So we're numbing ourselves out and we're pretending like um, we're pretending like it doesn't exist or we're telling ourselves there's nothing we can do about it. But the thing is there's everything we can do about it. Change happens in an individual's mind and heart. That is what change is when someone commits to a different way of looking at life. And, and this is why love is such an important part of the conversation because to become aware of how you're not choosing love creates so much more um, insight and ability to actually start choosing love in, in your life. And it doesn't have to be so overwhelming. We don't have to take to, to wear this on our shoulders and think, I've got to save the whole world from this epidemic. It's actually about mm-hmm. being present with how are you making your decisions right now and taking personal responsibility for your role in it all. Where are your intentions coming from? Are you awake? Are you aware? Are you being conscientious? Are you being intentional? Are you being loving to the people in your life? And if you're aligned in that way, this is what truly changes the world. This is what creates a demonstration. This is what leadership is. Wow, so powerful. And, uh, you know, I was wondering, uh, in your book, for example, you mentioned or you talked about uh, uh, the hierarchy of human needs by Abraham Maslow and love is in the love and belonging is in the middle so there uh, so in the pyramid for the listeners who are not really familiar with this in the pyramid there are five levels right and the first one the lowest level is physiological needs and then the second one is safety needs and the third one is love and belonging and then self esteem and self actualization you know i was wondering if we how to say if we have let's say challenges or problems on the lowest level like physiological needs safety needs are we able to uh to be whole let's say on the level of love and belonging so what do you think about this or sometimes i'm aiming for self-actualization and dr wayne dyer i mentioned him uh, earlier talks about this a lot and actually dr wayne dyer was one of um So Abraham Maslow was the teacher of Dr. Wayne Dyer. And if someone aims for self-actualization or love, uh, is it possible when we have like difficulties on lower levels? So let's say safety needs, which means health or personal security, financial security, because I think a lot of uh, people might be struggling with, with such things, right? Oh, well, I mean, this question is is a little bit of a humorous question to me because to be at a point of self-actualization would mean that you have the awareness to understand why everything is happening in in your world, you know. So is, is it the chicken or the egg? <laughs> it's like when you become aware of why a problem exists and you have the power to change it. Um, and I think that that's a, that's a really important way of looking at, at this question is um, to try to become self-actualized kind of defeats what self-actualization really means because mm-hmm. as, if, you, if you're trying for enlightenment, it's, 
it's in it become you you're pushing it further away rather than understanding like what when you experience enlightenment it's um you're you understand that you're not separate from anything mm. right it's a full yeah. embodied it's a fully embodied experience and the more we try for this rather than understanding it's like love like people say to me I just I, I want love so much, but the more you want love, the more you need love, the more that you give signals to the universe that you're not it. Mm-hmm. And life is a feedback loop. It's just going to keep showing you what it is you're asking for because <laughs> life loves you so much. It's saying yes to everything that you, that you say, everything that you choose. That's how much life loves us. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's, it's just humorous to me because, uh, of course, when you're actualized, all of these things cease to um, be problems. <laughs> but I guess to make also the, answer the question in a more pragmatic way, I definitely believe that it's um, important to understand that actualization is a journey of um, understanding and experiencing and actually more than that, embodying. So when you're going through a scarcity of not having your physiological needs met or not having a safe space of belonging, you're experiencing Mm -hmm. feedback in that time, which is actually helping you become more self-aware, right? It's like um, if you couldn't eat for 24 hours, you would gain a lot of (laughs) self-awareness. If you had that taken away from you, I I just did a fast um, about a month ago, a seven-day water fast. So I had that physiological need taken away right mm-hmm. and the amount of self-actualization i experienced in that time which is the enlightened way of looking at it right wow yeah. actually i'm i am exploring myself in this moment rather than focusing on the lack seeing it through the frame of not having rather asking the question how am i responding to the not having this am i still mm-hmm. able to focus on wholeness Am I able to see this as insight more deeply into my own, my own ego, into my own self? And when we can see it this way, if you're in a pursuit to experience more self-awareness and more self-actualization, then you, you understand that the way we interact with everything is insight into us. If we can remain aware in that. But I suppose when you have had to fight for survival your whole life, there's been no, you haven't been graced with the space to ask the questions. It's like Isaac Newton, right? Like he wanted so desperately to find inspiration. So he cleared his schedule and he sat under the tree. And because he created that space, when the apple fell from the tree, he asked the question, what makes the apple fall from the tree? And that bit, that was the seed that began him on the trajectory to discover gravity. Wow. Um, so it wasn't actually through doing that he discovered that. It was through creating space, which to me is the same as healing. When you create space for what it is you truly want, then it can come to you. But when you're in this pursuit, when you're trying, when you're forcing, there's no space for it to actually land. Wow, it is so powerful. And it reminds me uh, of a lot of topics that you talk about in the book. And I think we could have a 10-hour episode on that so <laughs> i think i'm going uh, a little bit deeper into uh, human potential because i plan so uh, and we were talking about self-actualization like i was wondering what is human potential and 
how might you define it, how you approach this topic? Would you tell us a little bit more about this? Human potential. <laughs> I believe humans are in a constant tension between the the sense and the awareness at whatever level that is, that we are a part of something infinite, but this tension we experience in being finite. And it's um, it can be the source of complete, you know, creative torture and it can also be the source of the greatest inspiration because we recognize, wow, we have the ability through our potentiality, you know, through the essence that we are, even though we have a certain amount of seconds on this planet and our body can't carry us for an infinite period of time. So there are finite elements of our existence. Our personality is finite, but our potential in each moment, in each present moment, is completely infinite in any moment you can be whatever you want to be that's that is the truth you know just because your mind when you hear that might come up with a series of limitations that tells you you it that doesn't mean those limitations are true just like someone telling me that i was too intense doesn't make it true unless i make it mean that so to really land in this understanding of wow I have this finite existence, but in this finite existence, I'm connected to, to, to the infinity of my potentiality. Actually, it's the greatest gift that we get to experience in the context of a finite existence because without the finiteness, without the reality, the impending reality that we're going to die, we wouldn't be able to feel motivated to express that legacy to create that legacy. And I think a lot of creators experience it this way that death can become your greatest motivator. When you truly accept that you're going to die one day. So whatever vision you have in your mind is infinite as may be, as it may be, the potential that you know exists in your heart. Why are you waiting? <laughs> Why are, you, why are you waiting to express it? Why are you waiting for the validation? Why are you waiting for permission? Why are you waiting until, you know, you have X, Y, and Z because that's what you've been told rather than just embracing what you know to be true in your heart. And the fact that we're going to die, I think, keeps us in a very, very intimate, when we're self-aware, a very, very intimate relationship with that potential because I know the potential inside of me. And the fact that I'm going to die makes me feel very urgently about yeah. actualizing that potential. I can I can feel you. And uh, actually, there's a there's a really great quote by Nelson Mandela, and he said, "There's no passion to be found playing small in settling for a life that is less than the one you are capable of living." And so, this quote is like, you know. Uh, what am I capable of? <laughs> so I think it's limitless. And um, yeah, and this topic leads me to to my to, to one of my core questions that I asked today. So what is it that stops people from uh, playing big? So why do they play small? And I know that you talk about you talk a lot about fear and the fear-driven mindset and how we can uh, overcome these fears. And I'm really interested. Uh, when it comes to this topic, um, what is it that you talk about? How we can overcome that so that we can play big? <laughs> sure. Yeah. 
I think as as you just described, there's really only one thing in the way of um of us playing big, and that's fear. And I think we can make fear mean a lot of things. Whether you have a fear of spiders, or you have a fear of heights, or you have a fear of your own potential, it doesn't really matter what the fear is. The reality is that fear is an energy that exists inside of all of us, and it's actually there as a survival mechanism. Because once upon a time we pretty much all had the same fears and that was the woolly mammoth that was potentially threatening the life of us and our tribe. <laughs> the fear was the same. We didn't have these kind of neurotic fears of I'm, I'm afraid that my left ear is bigger than my right ear, you know, <laughs> which is like the fear of, of a modern-day human being. Yeah. Um, that, and it, that energy, that experience of fear has always been there and the way I see it is um, it has to be there because it gives us a, an understanding of self. Because if I had nothing to fear, if I didn't experience fear on any level, if I didn't think anything was a threat to my identity, a.k.a. my life, which is how our ego interprets that fear, um, then I would have no sense of who Nicole Gibson was. Mm. You know, it gives us a a perceived separation because there's no actual separation. On an atomic level, there's no separation. On a quantum level, there's no separation. So what gives us this experience of self is these things that we fear. Uh, But a lot of people, because they don't understand the nature of fear and the gift in fear, because you can actually get to a place where you become grateful of the things you fear because they do bring you closer to the understanding of who you are in relation to the world. Like I have a massive fear of regret. I have a massive fear of failure. I could go to a therapist and talk about how terrible it is to have those fears and for the rest of my life. Or I could recognize, wow, that is a fear that exists inside of me. How can I utilize that in a positive way? If I have a fear of regret, how can I live a life where I don't regret anything? Yeah. You know, that's that's a powerful motivator for me. That fear is a tension that is actually helping me become more of my potential. And when we start to see it, in this way, then it's fear stops keeping us small and safe, which on a primal level fear is there to do is to keep us safe. Mm -hmm. And it can actually start being something that's propelling us towards our greatness. Wow. It is so true. And uh, again, Dr. Wayne Dyer, (laughs) just for surprise, because he talks about actually, uh, and I wanted to share this, um, the six rules or identifiers that the ego teaches us and one of them is that who i am is what other people think of me right and so i just posted a question a couple of days ago on uh, social media uh saying uh who could you become if you didn't care about what other people think of you right and sometimes uh and I, i heard this quote from uh jay shetty for the first time but it is it is a quote from uh a writer and author named Cooley, and it says, I'm not what I think I am. I'm not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. So we <laughs> we have this um, interesting, I don't know, perception of ourselves, of our identity. Who I am is what other people think of me. But I think this is the world of the ego, as Dr. Wayne Dyer says. But I think it's a really interesting thing to think contemplate on like who am i um yeah you know who am i really and how can i define this right i don't know if you have any yeah. any thoughts on that so just share it please 
Yeah, sure. I mean, I, re- I really like this. I've actually heard this before. Yeah. And, um, yeah. In, in seeing it that way, that I am who I think you think I am, <laughs> actually, again, it brings it back to um, the soul. You know, it's, it's what I think you're perceiving me as, which is um, what's going to inform that thought. You know, what's, what's going to inform that projected thought of I think you're seeing me in this way is my relationship to self, you know. Mm. So if I, have, if I have an insecurity, for instance, that no one likes me, we'll just use that as an example. Um, in, in your reality, maybe we're um, in a social situation and we're in a conversation and you see someone that, um, in your reality, you're really excited to see and you didn't expect to see and all of a sudden you turn around mid-conversation with me because you saw them walk across the room and you greet them. And all that means for you in that moment is you were pleasantly surprised that you saw this person that you weren't expecting to see. But for me, perceiving you through my belief system and my filter, I'm, I read that as you don't like me. Mm-hmm. You're looking for a way out of this conversation. And that I'm making that mean something because that's how I feel about myself mm. deep down. So I'm projecting that out and I'm looking for evidence, which is what the brain does. Yeah. It's an evidence-making machine. I'm looking for evidence to validate that belief system because that belief system is a part of my identity um, and your ego is doing everything it can to protect its, its identity, which is a beautiful thing. We should be grateful. Like we have this experience where we can – have a personality that is ours and unique and have a self. And I think the, the, uh, when it starts to become difficult and problematic is when we don't realise that it's changeable, mm-hmm. <laughs> when we become stuck in this idea of self, when we think I'm going to be um, unlovable forever, I'm going to be shy forever, I'm going to be a failure forever, which is ridiculous because nothing is forever. No. You know, every experience is a momentary experience and it's subject to change at any any point and when we can embrace this and understand this about our own sense of self and our own identity then we become powerful creators and we don't even resist the moments in time like you know I have this awareness but I still have moments where I feel totally lonely completely abandoned like a failure Mm. but I do have a voice deep in me in those times Mm. that speaks that says Nicole, this isn't the truth of who you are. This is just something you're experiencing right now. And that gives me an ability to ride that wave, you know, and embrace it as as I try to do all the human experiences without rejecting any aspect of the human experience. Mm. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing this. And um, yeah, uh, I appreciate your time and uh, we are coming to the end of this episode, which is, uh, yeah, um, too bad, but... I want to ask you to talk to us a little bit about your book and the current movement that you are working on. Uh, what's this all about? Uh, some details for the listeners. Um, I'm excited to hear that too. Yeah, for sure. So Love Out Loud uh, is a global movement that's uh, engaging 350 million people by the end of next year, mm-hmm. which is 4% of the global population. And the reason we chose 4% is because 4% supposedly is a point of critical mass. So when you engage 4% of a populace, Mm -hmm. 
the rest of the population shift because there's enough people who are embodying a particular way of living. Um, so strategically, that's sort of my way of <laughs> creating an infiltration of love so that love becomes a, a energetic baseline that humanity really um, lives from rather than is striving towards. I think we have a lot of people that, that just wish that they love themselves, that are striving towards it. Well, imagine what the world would look like if that was our starting point, which is my biggest dream that we can meet there. You know, that's where we begin from mm. and let's experience is like when we actually show up in the present moment in our fullness like that to me is the most exciting prospect um for humanity that i can imagine right now at least so that's why i'm dedicating myself to working um to create that with with my community um and there's many ways that you can be involved in the movement but really the essence of the movement is the embodiment of that love and if you are the embodiment of that love you're a part of this movement even if you're not, you're still a part of the movement because love's <laughs> like that. It's all around us. So. Oh, yeah, exactly. You can't not you can't not be in it, um, which is really frustrating for people that are naturally towards it. But we host retreats all around the world mm-hmm. and um, seminars and workshops and digital content. We have a closed community on Facebook, which I'll invite you and all of your listeners to, to join um which has thousands of pretty incredible people from all around the planet who come from this place of love and just want to share that and share what their version of loving out loud is. That's a really another, that's a key piece in understanding what the movement is too, is there's no right way or one particular way that loving out loud looks like that the philosophy in its essence is there's love inside of you and there's a unique way that you're meant to express that in the world. And that's, perfect and that's a part of the 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 fabrics of how this all fits together and the the book and the content that we teach and what we guide people through in retreat is really giving them the space to discover what that means for them and helping them become aware of how love wants to express itself through you how love wants to be embodied um in your human experience and what are the areas where fear is currently in the driver's seat so that you can shift mm. um, at the moment and make you know, um, more empowered choices. Well, it's uh, it's beautiful, and uh, I was wondering uh, about the content. So you have this book, Love Out Loud, as well, and there are um, nine chapters in the book. Just for the listeners who haven't heard about the book yet, um, so chapter one is about belief. Chapter number two is honesty. Chapter number three, acceptance. Number four, death. Five, purpose. Six, creativity. Seven, acknowledgement. Eight, gratitude. And nine is service. All of the chapters are awesome. (laughs) Um, But back to the content, is it something uh, that you talk about? Uh, I mean, facilitators talk about when it comes to these retreats, uh, speaking engagement events. Uh, Is it similar? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very much. Yeah. So there's, I mean, it would be a whole podcast episode in itself to explain the the ins and outs of the model of Love Out Loud. But in short, um, those chapters are written in a, in a circular model. So if you imagine literally going in a circle back to yourself mm-hmm. um, and it follows a, um, 
a model that has been pretty consistent in all ancient civilizations called rites of passage, um, which is marked through a separation of uh, what's familiar, going through a period of um, liminal space where you're nothing, where you actually surrender the idea of self and then um, reintegrating and acknowledging yourself as a, as a transformed new version of you. And I worked with that model uh, for a very long time in my work before I wrote the book. And what I started to see were actually there were some deeper, more specific themes in each of those three phases. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first three chapters of the book, which is part one and then part two and part three, were just my observations of these were actually the concepts that people were grappling with in order mm-hmm. <laughs> as they went on the journey um, to discover what it is they really are, which is love. Mm. Wow, so cool. And uh, what is what is your bigger mission with this whole movement? Uh, and if I may say your purpose, basically, um, and legacy that you want to live with all these things. And on a personal level, to forever remain a servant and a student to love. Mm. That's my, um, yeah, that's that's where my soul is and what my heart is aligned to. With the movement, I spoke about it before when I said really creating a new baseline for humanity, having enough people, breaking it down in a way that actually makes sense, that stops being something that is elusive, you know, or hypothetical and actually makes sense to enough people that it, that it can truly be embodied and practised and actioned and experienced and lived moment to moment uh, across enough people on the planet that it just becomes normal a normal way of life beautiful it's gonna change the world and uh i wish you good luck with this and uh thank you so much for being on the show i really appreciate it thank you so much for having me what is up mindset nation thank you so much for listening and i really hope this episode's been highly valuable to you And if so, please make sure to spread the word and share this episode with your friends. We are on a mission to build this community of Mindset Nation. So please make sure to go to iTunes, go to Stitcher and support us by rating and reviewing the show. And don't forget to subscribe as well. For more information about Mindset Horizon, simply visit our website MindsetHorizon.com and sign up to our weekly newsletter to get the latest information about new episodes, Mindset Transforming freebies, tips and insights. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, leave us a message, we'd love to get in touch with you and hear more about you. Alright guys, thank you so much for listening, take care and be limitless my friends.